Welcome to the Building the Elite Podcast, where we discuss the physical, mental, and emotional aspects of human performance within military special operations by looking at the principles that can help anyone thrive in chaotic and challenging environments. Soft selection requires that you develop a close relationship with pain. This doesn't just mean lots of dramatic grimacing for the camera. Eventually, successful experiences teach us that pain can just be a signpost along a familiar path. It tells you something about where you are, but it's not a stop sign or even a warning sign. It's just a signal to be calibrated. With the right kind of practice, we can feel and acknowledge discomfort and simultaneously prevent ourselves from making it worse with an emotional response. We can no longer react to the itch with a scratch. The goal is to rationally analyze thoughts and feelings that well up during intense exertion without adding to them, to learn to be in pain without suffering. Pain, much like fatigue, isn't a straightforward signal. Fatigue is not directly related to how much glucose you've got left or your physiological potential to continue activity. It's a surprisingly malleable, complex, and predictive emotion. It's derived from real-time physiological data alongside things like your mood, motivation, and predictions based on past experiences. It's as much about how tired you think you should be as what's happening in your muscles. Our perception of pain isn't just the direct result of a signal that perfectly correlates with injury or tissue damage. It's a predictive emotion that's heavily influenced by the focus of our attention. Like fatigue, our feelings of pain have a basis in real-time physiological data, but are also heavily dependent on what we're paying attention to, how we process the things we experience, and how much we think something should hurt. Consider, for example, a case reported in the British Medical Journal in 1995. A 29-year-old construction worker jumped onto a plank, and a 7-inch nail punctured completely through his boot. He was in excruciating pain and was started on painkillers at the hospital. When the doctors removed the boot, they realized that the nail had passed cleanly between his toes. This doesn't mean that the pain that the man felt wasn't real. It just illustrates how emotions like panic and fear can compound our expectations of how we think we should feel, and in turn, how we do feel. The pain that he felt was just as real as if he'd truly had a nail punctured through his foot. When he gained new information that enabled him to change his opinion about the situation, his pain immediately resolved. In another case reported in 2007, a man and another construction worker unexpectedly discharged a nail gun. He felt a thump in the side of his face, but didn't notice any significant damage. There's just a little bit of bruising under his jaw and a toothache. Six days later, after working, eating, sleeping, and going about his life, he went to the dentist. An x-ray revealed a four-inch nail embedded in his head. He didn't experience much pain because he didn't expect to feel pain based on the information that he had available. 
So pain is a much more fluid concept than we often believe. It doesn't necessarily correlate with tissue damage or anything particularly problematic. Sometimes it's just an erroneous, overly strident signal in our minds. If we can manage our thoughts and attention and put ourselves through experiences that help us to recalibrate these signals, we can change our relationship with pain in different contexts. This brings us back to soft selection. It's hard to metabolically break a human body. Surprisingly, few of those who wash out of selection courses do so because of injuries, medical issues, or even performance failures. Most of the time, they simply quit. While those who voluntarily leave these courses are physically capable of continuing, they're forced to accept a new reality. They don't want to. Although our bodies can persevere through extreme levels of fatigue, that doesn't mean they do so happily. The harder we push, the more negative feedback we get. Our minds and bodies turn up the volume bit by bit, screaming at us to slow down, to stop, and to get back to the comfortable embrace of equilibrium. In most physical activities, we hit a ceiling because our drive to keep going becomes overwhelmed by our urge to stop or slow down. Very few honest people ever finish a short, painful workout like a 500-meter row or a 1.5-mile run and think, I couldn't have gone harder for even one second of that. Much of that inhibitory urge is driven by pain and our responses to it. When we start to feel the discomfort of extreme exertion, we react. It can be likened to a fear response. It's not conscious, it's just scratching an itch. We feel pain and we pull back, like a hand from a hot stove. But the funny thing about the pain that we feel in endurance activities is that it's rarely reflective of our physiological limits. A hot stove would burn your hand, but if you push through the signals telling you to slow down on a run, you'd just be a little more uncomfortable while running faster. Not all fears are rational. Years ago, the Holocaust survivor and therapist Viktor Frankl coined the term paradoxical intention. The idea is to encourage people to engage in behaviors that they fear most. If monsters are under your bed, you crawl under there and find out what they're up to. This helps to change our perceptions of fears and make them less intimidating. It often involves a sort of dark humor in which we learn to laugh at the things that make us the most uncomfortable. It's often used for things like phobias or recursive anxieties. These are anxieties that can sustain and worsen themselves over time. For example, if someone finds blushing to be extremely embarrassing, then the slightest hint of blushing would make them feel instantly embarrassed, which would make them blush more, and on and on. This can play out in physical efforts as well, depending on how you react to physical discomfort. If the painful sensations of fatigue make you feel stressed and reactive and increase your desire to quit, then that stress response will worsen the feelings of fatigue. Pain triggers negative self-talk and shines the spotlight of your attention on your discomfort, which heightens your perception of pain, which turns up the volume on the self-talk, and on it goes. Paradoxical intention is meant to break this cycle by having people try to do what holds them in fear. The person embarrassed by blushing in social situations tries to blush as much as possible. 
so brightly that people have to shield their eyes from the red glow. The person terrified of public speaking, who is afraid that their heart will beat so fast that they'll have a heart attack, practices public speaking and deliberately tries to raise their heart rate as high as possible. Someone struggling to sleep consciously lets go of the idea of sleep. Instead, they either calmly accept the idea that they may not sleep at all, or they actively try to stay awake while lying still in bed. It's often easier to sleep when the self-imposed pressure is gone. While nobody in soft selection is ever likely to use the phrase paradoxical intent, it's not an uncommon experience in practice. Sometimes, in a moment of intense discomfort, candidates will try to see if it's really possible to do any of the things that their brain is warning them about if they keep pushing. In 2004, I was in SWIC selection on a conditioning run on the beach in Coronado. We were chasing an alarmingly fit instructor over sand dunes, around rocks, and along the water's edge, trying to keep up well enough to avoid the goon squad. That's anyone who's too slow, and you don't want to be there. Up ahead of me, the instructor stopped. The fastest students fell in right behind him, next to a support truck. In the back of that truck were our canteens, water, and the promise of a moment's rest. The instructor stood facing the line of students still running towards him, his hand raised overhead like a tomahawk. As one last student passed under his arm, he brought his hand down in front of me, marking the cutoff for the goon squad, and pointed to the ocean. I was maybe ten feet away, so close. Goon squad hit the surf. It was time to pay the man. Without slowing down, I took a hard left and ran straight into the ocean, still wearing my boots and uniform. I went into my knees and collapsed under a wave, soaking myself from head to toe. And then I ran back to the instructor, my uniform weighed down heavily, and my boots sloshing with salt water. Front lean and rest position go. Down I went into the push-up position. Behind me, slower students were still catching up, making it to the cutoff point and beelining for the surf zone for their fresh coat of wet. Being the fastest slow guy just meant that I got more time in the push-up position. Once the rest of the pack had caught up, it was beatdown time. Push-ups, burpees, flutter kicks, and sand. Sand everywhere. Sticking to our wet clothes, abrading our skin, getting in our ears. Every weekend, we'd get a haircut at a barber shop in Coronado for Monday's inspection. and You'd hear the scissors crunching through the sand. Finally, we got a reprieve from our push-ups and mountain climbers. We were allowed a quick drink of water, and the running resumed. By now, the instructors and a small pack of fast guys had gotten a decent rest, so they were off like a shot. Behind us was another instructor in the truck on his bullhorn. It pays to be a winner. Better to keep up than catch up, isn't it, gents? The same stuff we heard every day. This was one of those low points that come along regularly in selection. Everything hurt, and there was no end in sight, and it was going to get worse before it was over. We hadn't even made it to the turnaround point yet. This was the first of several times that I tried an experiment. Already, I'd been in the selection pipeline for more than a year and a half. And over the course of that time, I'd developed a slogan, hurt fast or hurt slow. You see, in times like this, everything is painful enough that the discomfort becomes a constant. It doesn't matter much if you're sprinting as hard as you can or easing off just enough to hang in the middle of the pack. Whether you're moving fast or slow, it's all just a blur of suffering. 
As soon as it's over, most of it fades from your memory. The only thing that sticks around is whether or not you did what was required. Stopping wasn't an option. That would mean a humiliating dismissal from the course. But on the other side of the spectrum was an actual physical breakdown. I was already pushing my body about as hard as I thought was possible. So I figured if I pushed just a little more, surely something had to break. I wanted to see how much hurt fast I could tolerate. Because at the end of that rainbow, I'd hopefully black myself out and just crash into the sand. And the cool thing was that this was kind of okay. True physical failure was acceptable as long as you didn't mentally give up and you didn't make a pattern out of it. Hypoglycemia, hypothermia, hypoxia, there were any number of ways to exceed your body's limits. And when that happened, the medics would snag you, bring you just back to the realm of a functioning human, and then send you back on your merry way into the push-up position. And right now, in that moment, I just wanted that little rest. I wanted to know what was on the other side of this pain. What was it that some part of my mind was fighting against and pulling me away from? Hopefully, and logically, it would be a quick nap face down in the sand. Surely, I thought, I could do that through just a little more sheer exertion. I figured that I was in so much pain that I had to be right on the brink of just shutting down. And so I put my eyes on the back of the instructor, who was already bolting for the horizon, and tried to set myself on fire to catch him. I told myself that it would all be over in a few minutes and sprinted with everything I had. Eventually, heaving with soreness, drooling on myself with sand sticking to the snot on my face, I was at the front of the pack and right behind the instructor. And I was still running. Everything hurt even more, but I could still keep going. Damn it. Craig's experience was not unique. Once you've spent enough time at what feels like the edge of your physical breaking point, you get curious. You want to know what would really happen if you cross the line. Many candidates, at some point, find themselves asking, what happens if I just try to push myself so hard that I break? Instead of avoiding the dark corners of their minds, they go deeper into them. They make it their home. Our bodies can handle much more than what we usually believe as long as our minds are willing to come along for the ride. Those who go through these experiences learn what felt like a physical breaking point was simply an erroneous signal. It was just pain. One more signpost along the road. There are two basic ways to apply the concept of paradoxical intention. With either one, it's crucial to focus on metabolic limits, not the limits of your connective tissues. It's hard to break yourself by running, rowing, or echo biking as fast as you can for as long as you can, but it's very easy to break yourself with loaded movements that compromise your joints under fatigue. You want the stress to be on your heart, muscles, and lungs, not your ACLs and shoulder labrums. The first method is to let go. This is the screw it, just send it version of paradoxical intention. Here, you consciously let go of your urge to fight against the pain that you're experiencing or the worries that you have about what it may imply. You calmly and deliberately accept whatever might happen and keep going. Basically, whatever worst case scenario that your imagination can cook up is met with the phrase, It'll work itself out. If I keep running this hard, I'm going to pass out, 
puke or maybe poop my pants. And I'm okay with that. It'll work itself out. Method two is chasing your demons. This method is directly paradoxical. You decide that it's opposite day. Here, you try, as hard as you can, to do the thing that you're afraid of. This is what I was doing on that run when I decided to sprint as hard as I could with the goal of blacking myself out. Instead of just accepting that if you push hard into the pain that something bad might happen, you actively try to accomplish it. If I keep running this hard, I'm going to pass out, puke, or poop my pants. And that's what I'm going to do. You try to find the demon. This practice can teach you several things. First, however much pain you're in now, it can still hurt worse. Second, no matter how much it hurts, you can still keep going. Third, when it's over, the exact degree of pain that you felt along the way won't really matter. Fourth, the things that you tell yourself about what pain might mean are mostly fairy tales. And last, choosing to push harder into pain is extremely difficult. So is accepting that it's a choice. Your choice. Pain is an inescapable part of life. How you train your mind to interact with it is up to you. With the right approach, you can learn to be in pain without suffering, even in the worst moments. That's it for today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave us a review and share it with somebody that you think would appreciate it. We're excited to announce that after several months of testing, we finally released the BTE goal and career-specific training programs through a mobile app. We have programs for a variety of goals, including soft selection prep, active duty operators, law enforcement, firefighters, and general fitness. These aren't one-size-fits-all templates. Instead, we assess where you're currently at and assign you a program based on your specific strengths and weaknesses. The training plans are adaptable, so you can adjust them to your needs and schedule. Alongside physical training, you also get access to daily mental skills lessons that complement your workouts. You also have access to BTE coaches to ask questions and get feedback when needed. You can find out more or sign up at buildingtheelite.com. At buildingtheelite.com, you can also learn more about training for special operations, download a sample chapter of our book, access free selection training guides, and use our assessment profile tool to see how your physiological profile compares to what's needed to succeed in special operations selection.